Let us pray. Gracious Father, for this, uh, for this morning, for this day, for, this, uh, for our church, for all that we have from you, we give you thanks as ever. Lord, be with us now. Allow this class to be yours um, and speak uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's a very short series. Um, this is the middle of three weeks. All the mathematicians in here, that means next week's the last week. Uh, just looking at parts of the prayer book, our services. Last week looked at Holy Communion. This week we'll look at the service of, of morning prayer a little bit next week. And I'd love some feedback. Baptism was brought up last time, uh, last week. Uh, you know, just some of our other pastoral offices is what they're typically called. Baptism could be one, confirmation, burial, um, marriage, those other things. Just kind of looking, you know, like last week and this week, looking at the difference between right one and right two. Um, sort of a unique part of, of the Episcopal Church today, uh, but could look at um, those other ones that I just mentioned. There's not, there is burial one and burial two, but the others don't have the options that we have of uh, sort of a, you know, right one, the old language, and right two, the new language. Um, they don't, they don't, we don't have confirmation one and confirmation two, but still look at the ideas beneath it and why we do what we do and what it means and what did we used to do, and how did it change, and how is that indicative of you know, streams of you know, theology in the church. So all that's on the table. If anybody has an interest in a particular thing, let me know, and I'll see if we can kind of work with it. Like, um, like last week, and it's all just a preface, uh, interrupt, let's go on tangents. That's really what this is. It's less a class um, that I typically teach where I say, you know, I'm thinking about this and, you know, kind of kind of run along, and anybody wants to come along for the ride, you're welcome to come, but if not, you know, there's a lot of other good classes uh, for for today, you know, it's going to be best if you interrupt and ask, you know, a question, what about this? A lot of us have been in the Episcopal Church for a long time, and you may remember when it used to be this way, or, you know, just looking around the room, there's a lot of people that have a lot of, um, of history with this and a lot of, a lot of knowledge. So, so please interrupt, ask, um, uh, ask any questions, go on a tangent. That's, that's what I'm uh, hoping this time we'll do. Um, general differences between right one and right two is we'll... In a minute, I'll just go ahead and do that now. Um, move to the uh, to the two different services. This is out of the two two prayer book, like last time. Didn't know of a better way to do it except just to put two two Microsoft Word documents side by side, kind of split screen. On the um, the left over here is going to be right one, and on the right throughout it's going to be right two. Just kind of compare and contrast. Uh, what's the difference between the two? Um, as I looked at last time, I'm not going to do it again. Uh, commonly, the answer, and there's a few church websites that'll say this, that um, uh, it's sort of an, an FAQ, a frequently asked question, what's the difference between right one and right two? Because oftentimes right one will be sort of the 730 service, right two will be the 9 and the 11 or whatever the other church, you know, the church's, you know, sort of later services. They'll say it's really just a matter of, of convenience and preference where right one kept the Elizabethan language, the these and the thous, and right two, with a few exceptions, they'll usually say kept, you know, more modern language. Uh, and so it's just a preference of whether you want to get up early or not. Um, and that's not true. That's one thing I want to say is it's, it's a lot more than that. They didn't just sort of go up, go in and sort of clean up the language and substitute, you know, thee and you and thou and all that stuff. It's, there's a lot more. Some significant omissions were given. Um, some significant, <coughs> excuse me, got to catch in my throat. <coughs> some yeah, significant additions. And so just looking at it. Uh, very broad strokes, one way I described it last time. Right one, you could say, has more of a vertical emphasis, whereas right two has more of a horizontal. Um, that's uh, 
That's that's far too over. That's far. That's that's a that's a great oversimplification. But it's for the purposes of a 30-minute class. It's it's one way to approach it. What I mean by vertical emphasis, um, capturing much more that that primary relationship with an individual, particularly an individual sinner, more specific than that, because this will be the language in the right one Holy Communion, the right one prayer book, the uh, the language of an of a repentant sinner before his or her almighty God. That's the vertical language. That's the vertical emphasis. And so there's a lot of repentant uh, emphasis in those, um, in those rites, in the right one. Um, language like almighty father will come out a lot. And we'll see that as is the difference between the right two. Language of, um, of, uh, of, of sin will be in there a lot more. It's a much more robust, the highlight in the morning prayer service easily is the general confession. Um, we'll look at that. Uh, it captures that that vertical um, Protestant uh, relationship of an individual before his or her God, which um, my bias, by the way, um, so come back and, 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 uh, and disagree. Uh, my bias is that's necessary before then the horizontal relationship is formed. A robust ecclesiology, to use really fancy words, just means a, a really full understanding of what church is, church, people, the gathered people of God. It's a bunch of people in a right relationship here that then comes out here. People find these relationships after this one. Right two, oversimplifying, it wants this without that. Um, it's a lot less of a um, of a vertical emphasis, and, and especially in the Holy Communion service, uh, one way I oversimplified it last time. It's like let's just get to the table, and that's a real common refrain right now in Episcopal Church. Let's just get to the table, and uh, and if we can all just agree to disagree, we're going to have to agree to disagree. Our differences can be um, covered over by having the meal together, the holy the holy meal, the holy sacrament. Um, and so it's that emphasis of let's just be together, and that's the body of Christ and all of its diversity. But the repentance language is um, is omitted, and we looked at that last time. And that's that's um that's an observable fact when you go by and look at sort of left right right one right not left right politically I mean left side right side um, when you put them side by side uh, there's a difference there is just a difference so so that's kind of what it is a um, few more things. Thinking about, say, the Advent and the way we do things, or just moving towards Anglicanism and interrupt anywhere. Um, why do we do what we do in the way that we do it? Um, now, I can't speak for the Advent, but this is kind of a, you know, more broadly historical description um, of, uh, of some of the, the responses to a very liturgical service, which is what we have, of course, liturgy, which literally means the work of the people. And so there's, again, that, that emphasis of, uh, a right emphasis and the gathered people of God who are in a right relationship as a repentant sinner to their Almighty Father, um, then we participate and we come together in this very ordered and structured worship in the way that we do things. Um, <coughs> I'm sorry, I've got something in my throat. <coughs> um, again, a bias. I like the way we do things, and I, I'm trying to be as objective as possible, but in some ways it is a defense, and so I'm, I'm aware of that, that bias and not being purely objective. Um, it's a worship service. Um, what does that mean? Uh, worship has the compound word worth-ship. Um, anytime you worship something, you're imputing, you're giving 
a certain amount of worth to it. If you worship your children, you're giving them a certain amount of worth. You worship your Lord, you're giving him his due, his worth. Um, you worship money, you're, worship, you're giving it um, its due. Now, inordinate, out of order worship, that's the problem. The church is called that idolatry. Um, if you idolize your children, that means you're worshiping out of order, where you're not in the right relationship with your Heavenly Father. The Bible, um, it said, with the, the Anglican Communion um, under Thomas Cramner, was a, uh, his genius was that he arranged the Bible for worship, for worship, to give um, the gathered people of God a vehicle to give our Heavenly and Almighty Father his right worth, his right due. Um, it drips with Bible. Now, I'm aware that a lot of other traditions um, want to have more of a, what they would call an extemporaneous relationship with their Heavenly Father, which, which there's a huge place for that. I'm, not, I'm not, not completely knocking that in any way, shape, or form. But I want to say it's, it's a worship service. And so that begins to beg the question, what's, what, what is worship? Um, and as in a lot of times, we can find clarity by, by looking at the negative. And you can say, well, if I want to know what worship is, maybe it will help to know what worship is not. Worship is not evangelism. Worship is not teaching. Worship is not Bible study. Worship is not um, purely prayer. Worship is not um, the expression of all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, you can kind of see where I'm going. Worship is worship. All those other things are good, and they have their place. And so some of the knocks against, Ang- against the Episcopal liturgy, the Anglican liturgy, which, which again, I do understand, that, it, well, it's just it, it's not strong on teaching, or it's not strong on evangelism, or it's not strong. Well, it's not what it's for. It's a worship service where there's to, to reinforce this relationship first so that when you're out, God knows, go to Bible study. You know, do um, Sunday school. Um, do evangelism. Do other things. And the church has pulled this together and looking at um, old, old, old words called didache and kerygma, which just means teaching and proclamation and all that. The the place of, say, the sermon, I'm going to get off because this is definitely a box, um, in a worship service is is that. It's a sermon. It's not a teaching. Um, and the Advent reflects that historical emphasis where we have such an emphasis on on Sunday school, on adult education. That would be called didache, which is where we get the word didactic. It's time for teaching. It's the instruction in the, um, in the, uh, uh, on the orders of faith. Um, dogma was the old word. Um, that's really not for the church. It's definitely not time for opinions. You know, it's definitely not time to read the newspaper and sort of make comments on it, which is what a lot of churches want to do in sermons. That's not the point of a sermon, nor is a sermon a time to go into a whole lot of teaching. A sermon is for proclamation. A sermon is for exhortation. A sermon is to, to uh, describe to people that need for a right relationship as a repentant sinner before their almighty God in a way that brings them into that living, daring confidence into the grace of God. And that's worship. And the whole of worship and the morning prayer service, I mean, it just gets it. There's going to be so much Bible here that pulls people into that living, daring confidence um, that, that it's, 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 again, it's my bias. It's not a time for teaching. It's not a time for uh, opinions. It's not a time for evangelism. It's not a time to, um, uh, by that I just mean it's not a, people say, well, it's just not really good to sort of bring people in who are outside the faith. I mean, it's just so, there's so many barriers. 
It's like, well, yeah, I, I do know that, and that's something we really have to deal with, and I'm, I'm, I'm in that, 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 that tension. Um, but I don't think it's, it's completely. I don't think it's a complete obstacle. Now I'm, I'm, I need to get off that because I can keep going too far. Any comments on that? Just the idea of worship and the Bible arranged for worship and how worship is different from uh, teaching or instruction. That's why people ask, you know, well, your sermons are so short. Well, they're just dense proclamations. And then we have 40 minutes to teach. Um, that's different. That's different. We don't try to combine the two. Which is what, and I know it's not completely wrong by any means, but other services will have a 50-minute sermon, but they don't have, of course, Sunday school. And so they're doing it all at once. We're sort of separating it. And we got, you know, especially if you're under Frank Limehouse, he actually, you can listen really closely. You can hear a beep. He, he does that to all the preachers. As soon as they step in, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Beep. And he, he times them. And as they're walking out, you can watch. Frank actually talks a lot. Frank actually talks a lot in the uh, in there, and it will go like you know, 12 minutes, 24 seconds. It's not like that was great, spirit was there, you know, you know, spot on theology. He's just talking about how long it was. So anyway, it's kind of funny. Big deal to Frank Timehouse, as his name was. So um, that was his uh, name in St. Helena's before he came here. So um, anyway, any comments, any thoughts on uh, on on that? This is kind of a broad part about about why we do what we do. Yeah, Ginger. To the table. 1980s, 1990s. Yeah. Episcopal, yeah, get to the table. But um, so is that just like a, because I mean, I assume like morning prayer was used more prevalently in like every church. So what it like, is the whole emphasis on communion, the communion service and like the celebration and the joy and everything, is that just a, I mean, it's not like that's out of place, but why is there so much? Yeah. And also, I mean, it does seem to me that communion, you're saying that like the morning prayer service, you know, for people who aren't believers would be more of an obstacle, but I think coming to communion. I think communion is much more of an obstacle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, help me if you're, because I've, whatever it means, I'm a cradle Episcopalian, which means I just grew up around it my whole, my whole life. And. Dance it or kneel. Yeah. Yeah. The, the structure of the service, I would agree. The idea of what's going on here. And a lot of people just want it if you're reading demographics and, you know, sort of the 20-somethings or have this, this, this existential hole that they're trying to fill. And so they're, 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 they, whoever they are, are enamored with mysticism. And so they're 
Episcopal Church and others was like, let's, we're, we, we can do that. You know, we got, we got mysticism. It's like, let's go up to the table. It's like, ooh, you know. The word hocus pocus came out of that, out of the Latin rite, hocus corpus meum. You know, this is my body. And, you know, the magicians kind of heard that and they just knew that that was the event. And so the mysticism of hocus pocus is where that came out. Hocus corpus is like hocus pocus. That's what it came out. You know, we still are chasing that tail. But it's a barrier, I think, because it just looks so... You're coming here from, from an, a non-denominational church, and it's like, who are these people? I mean, there's, everybody's doing this and doing that, and everybody knows what they're doing, and I don't. And it's a huge barrier. Is it worth throwing out the baby for the bathwater? I mean, that's the tension. And I mean, I'm, I'm actually pretty into all that. Um, I don't think it needs to be a barrier, but, but I think it is, um, often. Again, it has to be hugely broad strokes, but talking about the place of morning prayer in the, in the history of the church. Um, it was coming out of the Reformation. Um, the, the Anglican church was born out of the Reformation. There was First came Luther, then came Calvin, and then sort of over here in England, the English Reformation, the English church, as the church was reformed in England, um, uh, it, it, it had its roots there as well, um, but it was the middle way between the two places on the continent, the continent of Europe, between um, Germany and, and, and Geneva, uh, and so it. But it, it, it kept a lot of the the, the Catholic Mass um, in place and the Catholic Matins, which would be the morning prayer service, the daily office, and it and it. But it, it placed in them in that structure the Reformation principles. Um, Tom Hotchkiss, this came up earlier in conversation this morning with somebody, um, once brilliantly described um, true Anglican theology more akin to being Presbyterian plus rather than Roman Catholic light. I love that. That's the, that's the, that's the, that's the verbal hook that I'll always thank Tom Hotchkiss for, former canon here, a friend of mine. Um, Presbyterian plus rather than Roman Catholic light, meaning we've got the theology, the good theology underneath it, plus the the experience of a healthy and robust worship, um, that vertical that really begins to then fill the horizontal. Um, it's a it's a rich liturgy that drips with a lot of, of really positive places. So coming out of the Reformation, primarily it was um, it was the morning prayer, the daily office, for a lot of reasons, theological and practical. I think anybody who knows anything different, look at you, Matt, come 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 back and help help fill in some of these gaps. There weren't as many priests around to celebrate the um, the sacrament, um, but even with that, the 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 sermon um, with the revealed word of God preached. Uh, maintained its its primacy. And so in most churches coming out of the 16th century, morning prayer was done three uh, Sundays out of the month with, with Holy Communion celebrated, usually around the first of the month. Some significant divergence in that with the Caroline Divines, as they were called, in the 17th century, and then and especially with um, with uh, Henry, uh, John Henry Newman and Pusey and Cable and the Tractarians or the Oxford Movement, as they were called, which we still sort of have, where they wanted to actually bring... Anglicanism under the authority of the Pope again, um, and they uh, they 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 re-Catholicized a significant part of the church. Um, in other words, making it high church, bringing back a lot of the vestments, bringing back the holy sacraments, um, really bringing a lot of what we see. You know, now most Episcopalians nod at the cross when it's going down. Um, that didn't used to be the case. That's not that's not sort of you know the original 
work of Anglicans because that's that's really just shorthand for people that don't want to actually do this, which is called genuflection, where you go down on one knee, um, where God is more there on the cross, or more there in the bread and in the wine, or more there in the priest of God than he is anywhere else. And so in, in the presence of the holy, take off your shoes, Moses, for you're on holy ground, and so you become you know, down on a knee. Well, typical faction, we just do that. Um, uh, if you want to. Nothing wrong with it, but you don't, you don't have to. Um, why did I go there? Who knows? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, don't know why. So nothing wrong, but, but God's not more there in the cross going down than he is here. Or, you know, in the, in the, would you stop touching me, you know, in the middle of church? I mean, he's there, I hope. If he's not there, then we're all toast. You know, that's all I know. Um, and so if you want, just do that instead of yell at your child. Um, uh, or if it helps as a worship aid to put you in that right relationship as a repentant sinner before your almighty father, you know, bow at the cross as it goes past. But it's not required. You're not going to get kicked out. Jay? Uh, you know, growing up in a different denomination, I'll say that you know, the liturgy was a hurt. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes, depending on the directly, the comic results. Yeah. Well, but now, having done it for a while, I, I find I get a lot more out of it than I did um, without the structure. And I think it's, the structure almost gives me more freedom to sort of think and pray, whereas in without the structure, you didn't really know where the service was going, right. what the sermon was going to be about, and so my mind would sort of be all over the place. Yeah. And you know, with, with particularly morning, you know, it's it, it just sort of you, you get comfort, you know what you're going you know going to be doing, and it, to me, it sort of allows me to just think about a prayer from life. Yeah. Every time. And I find comfort. Yeah. Comfort. That's good. Strengthening. It's freeing. Right. Um, I, I, my own experience is very similar. As a, uh, you know, one who, who reads and is interested in theology and has worked for a church, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very critical. <laughs> um, and if, uh, I don't want to be this way, but if somebody starts to pray, Mark, would you mind closing us in prayer? You know, I'm, I'm there, and I really am, and I trust him, and so I know it's not there, but part of me is, Critiquing, judging. I'm doing that with my own as I'm praying. And part of me is going like, oh, that was wrong. That's, you, know, this, you, know, you know that's not right for this reason. You know, I'm not there. Well, I've been up and down the mountain, so to speak. It's Larry Gibson's phrase. Um, the prayer of humble access. I can go all in. I don't have to judge it anymore. I can actually be free to truly pray that prayer. That's why I'm sort of in this. That was really the origin for this class, was that invitation for, for freedom rather than, than a... You know, a new song. Let's try this one out. Well, if you're gonna give me a new song, I gotta see what it's like. You know, not only do I like the music, but is the, are the words okay? And you know, a mighty fortress is our God. You know, I, 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 I can sing that. I can worship with that song because I've been there. That hymn it stood the test of time. That's not a knock. I like new songs. Um, it's got a place, but it, it allows that freedom. Thanks, Jay. Um, Let's look at this. It's probably going to be less, you know, a comparison between the two, but, but more here. Great starts. Remember, worship. Um, it's really this relationship, and it's not a time for teaching, but as a response to, well, it's just not a biblical church. You know, I do take some exception to that. Um, great 
places, and these are all called rubrics right here, these uh, uh, little um, uh, italicized parts. It's fun to go through and read them every once in a while. Um, the efficient, um, the, you celebrate Holy Communion, and so the, 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 the priest or the minister at communion is called a celebrant um, at all other services where there won't be the sacrament of the supper of the Holy Communion. He'd be called an efficient, so that's just FYI. The efficient begins a service with uh, one or more of these sentences of Scripture, or with the versicle, O Lord, open thou our lips, on page 42. Um, and then we have some, some freedom within the church year. That is definitely liturgical. We're at Advent, which is a preparatory season in the same way that Lent is. All these verses, one from Mark, one from Isaiah, one from uh, another from Isaiah, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, the coming of the Christ child. And then at Christmas, um, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, for unto you is born this day. You know, we know these words. Epiphany, the revelation of, the, uh, of Christ as God to the Gentiles. In other words, to the non-Jews. That's us. Um, the Gentiles, we shall come to thy light, and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. I will give thee a light for the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto thee. Just, I mean, just great snips of scripture all throughout here. Um, you can see they go for a good while. Um, to, uh, to come down um, almost immediately after um, all of these verses, you see it's like three or four pages of scripture, um, we do come to the confession, some of the, uh, one of the most significant divergences between the two. Um, the, uh, nearly the similar uh, invitation to confession where the efficient leads, there is a difference, a uh, slight difference in um, in uh, in the two, but, but not enough to really go through uh, too much because I want to run to this. Um, here, over here in Rite 2, it's the same confession that's listed in the Rite 2 Holy Communion Services um, in 1979 when the Prayer Book Revision Committee did their work. They just they just found a, they, they wrote a confession that they liked. And it's not, it's not awful. I'm about to really knock it. Um, it's not awful. Um, but it's not it's not, it doesn't ring um, like uh, this other one. This does come out of, of, of the Reformation, Thomas Cramner. And when you say that Cramner wrote something, he probably didn't write it. He was a great synthesizer, which you might call redactor. He took a lot that was out there, and he put it all together, sometimes in just a very, very, very minor way, changing it and just adding and releasing a whole new amount of depth. And so we have this. Um, uh, which we know so well. I'm actually going to flip over to another page because I pulled this one out um, because as Fitzsimmons Allison said, um, Fitzsimmons Allison, the retired bishop of South Carolina, is going to be here during Lent again this year. He's an older man now and a hero of many of us and I'm thrilled he's going to be back um, for what could be his last time at the Advent. It's hard to tell. Um, but he said this, um, Cramner's prayers are saturated with scripture and they are compiled with such economy and clarity that in no sense could one say that they had merely been written. The very best example is the general confession in the services of morning and evening prayer. Um, Professor Massey Shepherd has pointed out that this confession is based upon St. Paul's analysis of sin in Romans 7, uh, verses 8 through 25. In the order of their occurrence, the sources are from Isaiah, Psalms, 1 Peter, Proverbs, Jeremiah, 2 Chronicles, Matthew, the Psalms again, Luke, the Psalms a third time, Nehemiah, Psalms, Romans, 1 John, Titus, and John. This general confession clearly shows Cramner's genius of humility. His vision was so unhampered and unclouded by personal ambition or worldly concerns that he could absorb the revelation of God's word written 
digested in his mind and appropriated in his heart. Revelation then flowed into the simple economy of one paragraph with the aforementioned phrases from 16 biblical sources in eight short sentences. Subsequent generations have been given a unique biblical vision through a vehicle hammered out in a blend of thought and passion, trust and faith. Um, and so here's, um, here's the confession with some of the, uh, the verses that, that were cited beneath it. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep, as that of Isaiah. Um, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. I'm not going to read them all. Um, we have followed too much the devices and desires of our own heart. There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord that shall stand. Um, if you'd like this, let me know and I'll email it to you. Um, we have offended against thy holy laws in reference to chronicles. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you pay uh, a tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not leave the other undone. Um, in the brackets, this is what the 79 did omit. Um, it used to be the single statement, and there is no health in us, um, for there is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders, which is Frank Limehouse's email tagline, in fact. Uh, again, a, a phrase out of the scripture. So just a, a, an economy of, of, uh, of language that does have that beauty to it, which can draw you in once you've gone up and down the mountain, so to speak, and are free to pray it, um, and are free to pray it with, um, with all full conviction to those of us that this matters, and I'm certainly one of them, with all full conviction that this is a biblical confession. It is a biblical relationship of a sinner beneath his almighty and most merciful Father, capturing that dual relationship, that this is the almighty God, the creator of all things, the judge of all men, but whose property is always to have mercy. And we need the two. I need a God who's bigger than my sin, that he's not going to look at me and go, ew, I'm sorry, but no. I mean, that's disgusting. Um, but one who's always going to say, come. My property is always to have mercy. It, there's, there is no surprise. I'm always right with you. Um, there is a contrast to the most merciful father. Um, we confess that we have sinned against you. Again, it's not bad. It's just not as robust. Um, and uh, when you couple that with some other places, um, uh, you know, some significant omissions. Most merciful God takes away the, the, the language of Father. That was definitely part of their, their idea. Um, uh, takes away the Almighty part, where there's that, 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 that wrath part, repentance language. Um, what We need to repent of something because it's been judged correctly uh, as something wrong. Um, a little bit of that, not a lot of that is gone. When you just introduce it, most merciful God. Um, he's much more open to the place of, um, of being a coach and an encourager and not a, uh, a God for whom um, his own wrath must be propitiated um, as the one full sacrifice oblation and, uh, and satisfaction for my sins and not for my sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Um, that's there in an economy of, of, of language. Comments, thoughts? What's that? Buddy Jesus, that's right. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it may be an obstacle for some people. Sure. We didn't even know what we were looking for, and we were looking for this. Well, thanks be to God. So. But when Hadi said that phrase, I just went. You jumped on. That's so. what that is. Yeah. Hey, what was the movie? George um, Carlin was Buddy Jesus. Dogma. Dogma. That's right. So, um, that's good. Buddy Jesus. So. Um. Where do we want to go? go to the creed. Um, there were some significant changes. This is sort of a little bit of a rant um, against the two to say it's not neutral. Um, the Apostles' Creed was significantly altered, and that's a that's a big deal. This is just a response for nothing else, because it could be right or wrong. And so there's no difference between right one and right two except for language. You can say that's not true. That's not true. The Apostles' Creed in the morning prayer services are different. Um, uh, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. They're basically the same thing. I'm not picking creator, maker, all that. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost. Right 2 says, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're into some places where you know you can sort of take advantage of theology, there's a pretty significant difference here. Um, conceived by the Holy Ghost, there's there's that direct relationship, causal relationship, where the Holy Ghost was the author of Christ. A um, little bit, it leaves it open, and and I'm only saying this because. The theology was present before, and it's certainly been afterwards for ideas that, that well, you know, Mary was probably, and it's out there, and it's repeated so many times. I wouldn't say a lot of people think it, but it's always brought up. You know, she was actually raped by a centurion, um, and the power of the Holy Spirit just changed that horrific incidence uh, because that solidarity and all that with the oppressed. That would be called their, their version of the theology of the cross, which is also not true. Um, and, uh, and, and that child was adopted by God to be the Messiah of the world. And there's so many heresies with that. Um, it's not true. All I'm saying is that, you know, to monkey with a creed that was created in the 4th century, um, that has been the statement of, of belief to knit together commonly people of, uh, you know, if you say you're a Christian, what would you say to that? Um, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed are typically the three that you would say are... These are what we have in common. Um, we changed a little bit in the Episcopal Church, and other denominations did too. Um, that's one place. Um, uh, he descended into hell versus he descended to the dead. A little bit different, you know, with an idea of, of, a, of, of hell versus um, this idea of Sheol or something else like that. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. Here it just said on the third day, he rose again. The idea that, well, maybe he didn't actually die. He just kind of came around and he rose, and it just omits that place that he was... He was really dead. Why does that matter? Well, maybe I'll end on this. Um, that's our hope, you know. If Christ wasn't as dead as the person that you're thinking of right now, that you've lost, um, who mattered to you, if Christ wasn't as dead as that person, uh, then what's our hope? Um, he was truly dead. Um, the Holy Saturday was Christ in the tomb uh, where there was no blood moving. Um, everything stopped. 
And then uh, three days later, uh, the molecules uh, reversed and everything was rekindled and it was new life. That is our hope. That is our hope. Um, don't take that from me by saying that it just by omitting the words that Christ rose from being a dead man. Um, by just saying, well, he, he rose, he got up. Because it leaves it open. Got up from what? Was he just, did he swoon? Did he, uh, uh, did he come back around because he never actually died? Did he not go in there because he was actually more God than he was man? Which is an old heresy. That's a lot of what this was in the background. Which means that he wasn't really, he didn't really know my trials and my, uh, my ultimate end. That death is the great enemy, the last enemy, as it's often called. Um, it really had to be dealt with, and it was. Don't take that from us. You know, that's, that matters. That matters pastorally to be able to stand with somebody. Yeah, Tommy. I have a question. Um, the, what, uh, the, what is the biblical foundation for the idea that he descended into hell? Yep. Yeah, Yeah, whole history around that, as you can imagine. A lot of disagreement. One pretty obscure verse out of Second Peter is the biblical basis for this. And it was debated. Um, it's called the harrowing of hell, traditionally. Um, what's the verse? Second uh, Peter 3, I think it's 16. I can't remember that. Um, uh, who went and freed the spirits in prison. And then dot, 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 dot. Um, some idea, but it's almost out of context when you read it in the context of Second Peter. But they concentrated on that. Um, does it mean it's wrong because it's sort of an illusion? No, I wouldn't say it's wrong. Um, because the, the atonement, the full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice, oblation, and satisfaction, um, not for mine only, but for, for the sins of the whole world, the whole cosmos, heaven, hell, all created order for all time, past, present, future. I mean, it just opens it up to that. That if he's the Lord of, uh, of the living, he's also the Lord of the dead. He's the Lord of, of the dead um, in perdition, and he's not, he's not sort of you know, left, which is a hard word to swallow, but he's still, he's still over that, which is a really weird part where he almost had to become a devil before he could become the Christ. Now it's, I don't want to go there too far. What a way to leave it, but um, that's where we are. So that's, that's where it comes out, um, a... An odd idea. I might pick that up in a class at some point later. You know, really get in that idea. But it's not one I'm gonna. Eh, I say I wouldn't die on that one, but maybe I would. Um, yeah, I'm gonna leave that as a more. I don't know, but the reference is Second Peter three, I think sixteen, um, and there's a lot on that. Remember, the ESV Bible says there are no less than sixteen, or maybe it's the NIV Study Bible, one of the two. No less than 16 theories about that verse or that statement in particular. So, time for maybe one question, comment. Thanks. I hope it's helpful. I know we're not getting far in all this, but just you know, chance to think about why we do what we do. Again, if you'd like this, I mean, to email you something. Let me know. Or if you have any thoughts on where you want to go with the last week, um, let me know. Be happy to kind of tailor this in um, 
take it from there. Yeah, Charles. It might be worth noting, Bill, that you know, not that the British royal family is in all ways a perfect example of how we should live our lives, but the Queen herself, who's head of the church family, and is known to be a very pious woman. When she goes to church, it's morning prayer, but maybe two or three times a year when she takes communion. I didn't know that. Well, if it's good enough for the queen. We should invite her here. I'll take your word for that one, James. I don't have any ideas. So, you know. Let me pray. Father, for, uh, for this class, for this day, thank you. Um, correct me where I'm wrong. Um, strengthen uh, any place where your word would be, um, uh, would go forth and allow it to return to you, um, not void, but with a harvest that far exceeds anything we could ask for. Um, humbly, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. See you all next week.